I'm Maribel Aber with CNN News Source and the Action News Market Watch Report. And you're listening to the True Philadelphia Podcast with Matt O'Donnell. Thanks for tuning in, listening, watching, and hopefully subscribing to the True Philadelphia Podcast. I'm Matt O'Donnell. Maribel Aber helps us make sense of the financial markets and business every weekday on Action News Mornings. The reports are through a partnership we have with Maribel's employer, CNN News Source. Maribel Aber is always in the know when it comes to your money matters and joins us live from the Money Desk with our Market Watch report. Good morning, Maribel. Hey, good morning, Matt. On the know here, stocks look set to open higher this morning. Maribel's background is fascinating from how she was initially on a completely different career path to her chance meeting with a soap opera star to her days working her way up at the NASDAQ. Maribel also shares with us how it's been working from a remote location in Florida during the pandemic rather than in Times Square. Action News Market Watch reporter and finance extraordinaire Maribel Aber right now in the True Philadelphia podcast. Maribel Aber, so good to see you. And I just want to say, I think it's been five or six years or maybe more you've been doing the money uh, Market Watch report with Action News. It's such a pleasure to have you and we're so lucky to have you. I love being with you guys. I feel like I'm part of the team. It's been eight years now, Matt. Eight years. <laughs> yes, we're in a relationship. So part of the whole deal is that every now and then we get together, we've had lunch with you, you make cookies for us for Christmas, you give us gifts. This has worked out pretty well for us. (laughs) And it has with me too. I feel like I have like an extended family. It's been great. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, first of all, how you doing? I'm doing great. I got to tell you, um, my commute is the best that it's ever been. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> being here in Florida. I mean, we're all pretty much stuck at home, um, but I couldn't have a better situation and a better support team. A great husband who cooks breakfast every morning and a dog that is a great PA. <laughs> when you realize that you had to leave New York and head down to Florida and set this up, were you nervous about it? I was definitely nervous about it. I left New York with sort of bare bones components and thinking about, okay, how are we going to run the IFB? How are we going to run a prompter? How are we going to run a camera? So my entire just carry-on was just electronics from B&H. <laughs> and it was so heavy, I couldn't get up on the overhead bin. Coming to Florida, you know, my first shot you saw was sort of a library look, which is what a lot of people have in their shots now. And I thought, if we're going to be here for several more weeks, then I'd like to broaden this out and, and, and uh have the viewer be able to focus on the stories as opposed to the books behind me. So that's when I decided to build the Flash Studio. When you did that first live hit in that studio, was it almost like going back to when you did your first live hit in your career? I mean, I imagine it was kind of weird. It was weird. Um, the first, the very first live hit in the library was really weird. You know, you're sitting there with a camera, which is really the iPhone looking at you, Uh, a dog next to you, books, and hope this works. I mean, the first first that I did with you, I think I had the fireplace as my backdrop. And I had to figure, okay, let's focus on what we, let's let's, let's tighten the shot a little bit. Let's make it a little clearer. But yeah, I hoped everything would work. There are so many cable connections and (laughs) electrical uh, uh, wires throughout the place that it was a little bit unnerving. 
we've lost a lot of connections with some of, uh, like, like with Karen Rogers, Tamla Edwards. It's been kind of spotty at times when they work at home. I don't think we've lost you once. No. You're like batting a thousand. <laughs> well, that was the plan. And hopefully nobody, it's, it's supposed to be seamless, right? So hopefully yeah. everybody still gets their money report and gets their uh, quick laugh and, 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 and gets out. Let's talk about you. You graduated from UVA, University of Virginia. Go Cavaliers. You graduated with a foreign affairs degree. Then you went to New York Law School. What was the original plan for you? Okay, so I had one of these tiger moms. You're going to be a doctor or lawyer situation. Um, I, uh, my grades, let's just say, in the sciences was not going to help me out in terms of being a doctor. Um, lawyer was the next next option i really didn't want to um i actually left when i graduated with a foreign affairs degree i was thinking okay what am i, I going to do international studies i'm going to work on capitol hill i interned on the hill when i was in high school that's what i'm going to do and nasdaq or nesd which was the parent company of nasdaq at the time uh afforded me an internship so i was the best darn data entry person there could be and i gradually sort of got promotions and jobs within the company. And it's really interesting because if there was advice I'd give to anybody young coming out is do the thing that nobody wants to do and do it really well with your own spin. Um, and, you know, I was with NASDAQ for 13 years. I ended up being vice president um, of the market site, which is where you used to see me report out of. So I ran the opening and closing bells. I did investor conferences. I actually took the idea when they gave me the job, Matt, it was really funny. They said, Maribel, you go against the New York stock exchange. What are you going to do? How are you going to differentiate our situation versus theirs? And I said, well, if you can, uh, trade anywhere, then you should be able to ring the bell anywhere. So that's how I came up with the remote opening bell. And we did it in Dubai. We did it in Shanghai. We did it um, in Cisco. Um, it, it was an amazing experience. And from that, I was able to start hosting. So one day our CEO couldn't make an, a closing bell. And they were like, you need to go. And that was like my moment. Oh, okay. Hadn't really done the teleprompter thing. And I got right in. And I was like, wow, this is great. And I knew this is what I wanted to do. But honestly, I thought... I'm a little too old for this. Like I've gone down this career working at NASDAQ. I went to law school at night while working at NASDAQ. That took me four years and I didn't want to pursue that career. And, um, one day, I don't know if you remember I don't know, uh, all my children, the, the, the soap opera sure. and, uh, Susan Lucci finally won her daytime Emmy. It's like, I don't know how many tries, 13 tries. She finally gets it. She comes to ring the opening bell with a bunch of the other winners. And I run up to her. I'm, I'm hosting. And I say, you know, I just want to let you know, my grandmother learned English from watching soap operas. And she was like beside herself, calls her producer over. Her EP says, uh, she says to her EP, this is Maribel. And her grandmother speaks not a word of English and watches me every day. And I was like, wow, that was an interesting translation, but okay, I'll take it um, that you're happy. And yeah, my grandma does watch you every day. So two months later, I get a phone call from all my children. Hey, they'd like you to come on the show. I'm like, to do what? Are you sure you don't want my CEO? Your CEO can be an extra. I'm like that, That's going to go over. Well, I'm not going to tell them that. 
but they wanted me to play me. So I hosted Erica Kane on a real opening bell. It was like a, right before the real, real opening bell. Um, and that was kind of it. And I was like, I can do this. I, I, I always interview in companies when I'm pre-interviewing for folks. I can do this. So that sort of set the adventure. And then I did Real Housewives in New York City for an episode. And I told my husband, I'm going to do this. And I promise you, we won't have to move to Utah. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. And the day I got the call from CNN was the day I was filming. Um, it was an infomercial for Keurig Coffee. And Jenny Garth was the talent. And I was the fake. Beverly Hills. Yes. Da -da -da. Da -da -da. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was the day I got the call. And the rest is history. Wow. Where was your mom born? The Philippines. Both my parents were born in the Philippines, two different places. My mom is from Baguio. My dad was from near Manila. They would never have met, actually, had they not met in the United States. Huh. So have you ever seen the movie Splash? No. Wait, Tom Hanks. Yeah. Yes, Tom Hanks. And uh, it's a story about a mermaid <laughs> who learns how to speak English by watching sitcoms for one day in a department store. And that's what came up when you told me that your mom learned English from watching soap operas. Well, you gotta, you, you, you gotta play that now. If you're gonna do this, you, you gotta insert that clip in there. Sure, sure. We'll have to try and get the rights. I see when you said a little earlier, one of the keys to your success was when you broke into a new environment, you found a menial task and you said, well, I'm just gonna be super useful and I'm gonna be the best at that. How instructive is that for people who are coming out of college right now or high school and trying to form a career? Well, it's almost like, it, for instance, the morning shift, right? Nobody wants to get up mad at like two o'clock in the morning, right? It looks all glamorous, looks all love, you're on TV, but nobody wants to do that. You've got to find those places what nobody wants to do and shine at it and, and, and get noticed. And I think in today's age, um, you can even do that yourself. I mean, like everything is all technology, right? They could be doing this. They could be, you know, while we had to figure out how we are going to create a reel, they can just make a reel. But you've got to figure out a way to, to get in. And I think the way to get in is always doing something nobody else wants to do. One of the jobs I had at NASDAQ was in running that opening bell. Everybody wanted that job because it meant you get to decide does Cisco ring it? Does the celebrity ring it? All this power. I didn't want anything to do with that. But I figured out a way to manage and work the situation. But that's not the job that I aspire to go to, right? It's just, you'll end up going where you need to go. When you ask Maribel for advice on investing, saving, and spending, she will respond like most people who are in the know on financial matters. The onus is on you, the investor, to figure out what works best for you and what doesn't. You have to do the work. It's instructive because some people might assume people who manage their money well are lucky. Luck is part of it. Hard work is most of it. When people come up to you, and I know they do, they ask you about spending and saving and investing and trading. What types of advice do you like to give people? Definitely know your risk tolerance level. I wish I knew that. And also start small. I, when I was much younger, I'm glad that somebody, my dad told me, you know, you need to start putting money in your 401k. I think people think money is scary and it's more so not understanding what to do with it. Um, 
Also, don't be afraid to ask questions. I mean, you think you don't have a whole lot of money, and so you, sh you, you, you don't have enough money to ask a financial advisor for advice, but that's just not the case. And also, um, pick up, educate yourself. Pick up something like, I like the Investor Business Daily. Pick up something just to familiarize yourself with uh, what the market's about. The Intelligent Investor, best book I've ever read about finance. Yeah. Do you have an investment philosophy that you subscribe to? I tend to buy what I know. And I wish I knew that Amazon was going to be <laughs> where it is now. Um, I was just talking to one of my former bosses. I was going through a mementos and I found these pictures where um, Jeff Bezos came in to ring the opening bell or whatever it looked like back then. I think it was like 2003. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember my boss saying, wow, remember that time? Like, yeah, remember that time when it was trading at like 16 bucks. Um, that's amazing. And, and again, you know, we're, you know when we, we'll talk about the markets a little bit, but just how interesting the tech stocks have just been flying through sure. this pandemic. I feel like time is your greatest weapon when it comes to trying to make money in the market. Yes. Um, in fact, I had uh, two... Uh, a young couple, maybe in their 20s, and asked me, you know, is now the time? And that was like back in March when we were really plummeting. I'm like, this is a great time for you to start thinking and looking at value stocks. Eventually, some of these stocks will be coming back and you will never be able to buy it at the price that it's available now. I like how, and this is not all analysts, but they put a price target on a stock and then something like the pandemic happens and they're like, oh, well, I didn't know that was going to happen. Well, that's our exact point. You didn't know. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and they're looking at trends, right? Not thinking about something coming around the corner that no one saw before. Exactly. And the stock market is, I call her finicky. You know, she's like the win, the, the Patrick Swayze song, right? She's like the way I don't know where she's going to blow, right? Um, and the stock market, and we talked earlier about the economy, they may not necessarily track. While the pandemic was still set in, people were dying, people were getting sick, businesses were closing, the stock market started charging back up. And I know that it is not necessarily reflective of today, it's reflective of the future. But why was that happening? How did you see it? Wait, what, why was what happening? Why was the market going up while everything was going down? So yeah. what's happening in the economy, right? You talked about the un unemployment being high, uh, gas prices being low, there being a glut, um, consumer confidence being shaken. But what did the Fed do? The Fed pumped money in, right, to prop up the economy. That's what the Fed did. And what did it do? It kept interest rates low. So... Think about that in terms of stocks as investment versus fixed income instruments like, say, bonds or CDs. So if you were to choose between investing a stock and maybe getting like a 5% return versus a CD where you get, a, what, a quarter percent return, which one are you going to put so your money in? So more people were investing in the market. The other thing is, you know, uh, online trades are cheap now, right? They're near zero. So that's attractive, which again, if you go to the Schwab's and the TD Ameritrade's and also the Fed was planning for, and they've been saying, we're aiming for a V curve, right? 
So if we are plummeting down, they're saying we want to come back up in kind of not super sharp, but you know, not a gradual, a V. So then what investors are doing are like backing on the fact that, okay, well, maybe that means corporate profits are going to be coming back relatively quickly. So that's powering that as well. And then we talked about um, stocks like Amazon and technology stocks that are really doing superbly right now. I mean, what was, was it Amazon that um, helped NASDAQ have another record close yesterday? So that's all being taken into account, which is wholly separate from, gee, people don't have jobs. Gee, you know, um, stores are closing. Yeah, I think it's super important to realize how much of an impact the Fed has when it starts pumping money in and also the scarcity of investments and that makes stocks more attractive. And also, I mean, you had Boeing going down yeah. in terms of stock price, but Amazon and a lot of the other tech companies, Facebook, Netflix, making up that ground and then some. That's right. Again, I wish I had invested in Amazon. <laughs> well, there's so many investments. It's so easy to invest Backwards. See, hindsight 2020. It's like uh, Monday Night Football. Yeah, there you go. What advice would you have for a person who lost a business, lost their job, lost an enormous amount of their life savings because of this? What would you tell them? That's just such a hard thing right now. I mean, because everybody is grappling. You can give all the advice about, okay, save, 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 or pay off high interest rate credit cards. But at the end of the day, you want cash. If you do have a high interest rate card though, because loans have interest rates so low, I would even do that and pay off those rates right now because I don't know that we're gonna see these rates so low. What do you think about the national debt? It's now above 26 billion. And I mean, essentially we're printing money to try and you know back things up. Does that scare you? Oh, it definitely scares me. And the fact, you know, look, and, and we're borrowing from ourselves, right? These, these packages that we're getting to help Americans, we're all paying for, right? It's coming from us anyway. So that's just pushing everything up. So um, yeah, it's scary, Matt. I mean, rightly or wrongly, so investors are going to buy on those dips and they're going to keep putting money in. And the market has just been so strong. It's, it's so interesting because just through, through the time from, I think I came here mid-March, like March 16th or something, to now, just imagine all our conversations and the markets doing this. Like every day, we didn't know it was gonna happen. Every day, but yet we're here. Yeah, I've said to people, it's hard to predict what's gonna happen in a month, in a week, and maybe in one hour. Right, in one hour. It's great, oh, I mean, you know, look, I don't have it up right now how markets are doing, but when they, when they did open, I think there was a new product Gilead pushed out uh, on a vaccine that they're trying to push through. And we're hoping that that sort of changed futures, but it's been fluctuating all morning, again, on news, right? Yes, no. And look, you have a lot of businesses now saying, should we reopen? How are we gonna reopen? Do we wanna, how much are you gonna spend? If you're a big company, how much are you gonna spend on making it sanitized and creating barriers? Or do you reevaluate your lease and have people work from home and, you know, take that loss? Or, or do you get out of business altogether and yeah. find something else to do? Yes. One of the business I was thinking about is as we're talking about education, 
Um, and what's going to happen with schools? Are people going to, I mean, are, are states going to allow uh, schools to reopen? I, I love this idea, and I forget who I heard this from. The idea of like how we're exercising at home, I myself bought a spin bike, wow. um, but not a Peloton, but Peloton being so popular, like they're so enthusiastic. And I mean, I'm watching the app even if I don't have a Peloton bike. Then imagine if you had like a teacher like that, because that's the thing, right? You get bored kids or like the teacher's not really, you know, uh, they're not a TV person or not a personality who's going to teach you math this way. And um, imagine if you had that, even for university level. I would get on board with that totally. I think that's a great idea, super great idea. I mean, plus we could get all the kids on bikes. <laughs> <laughs> She's going faster. But, but I have a friend who uh, is, is a teacher, is an elementary school teacher, and I asked him, why are teachers having such a hard time with this online learning? And he said, it's simply the skill set to teach and the skill set to be a multimedia person are different skill sets. And this teacher, who's a friend of mine, happened to be a graphic design artist. And so he already had the know-how and he's flourishing. But other, other teachers are really struggling in trying to figure this all out. I mean, it makes me think, like, do you bring back the governess? I mean, is that a role that happens, like the Von Trapp family? Like, because who is? Like, if you're a parent and you're working and you have school-age children that are young, how do you, how do you get them focused and on point? When I myself, I forget it, I had a physics tutor, <laughs> all kinds of tutors. I don't know as a parent how you handle that. You and I are going to create this company where we make these teaching classes, education, like going to a spin class on a Peloton, and we'll call it Educon. There you go, Educon. I love it. It's, I mean, it's something. It, it could work, Matt. <laughs> There's our, well, I always ask, what's the billion dollar idea? It could work, Matt. Just takes a good idea and several million dollars. <laughs> it's a follow through. <laughs> We've reached a stage where I like to throw phrases at my guests and see what they say. This could be a one word answer. You could pass. You could turn off the Zoom call and <laughs> go on with your day. You ready for this? Yes. yes. All right, Maribel Labor. Dow versus S&P. S&P. How come? Broader index. Dow, you're only looking at 30 components. So, you know, it's, it's showing me a, big, a bigger picture. Why are we so obsessed with the Dow, even though most people who invest know that? Brand? <laughs> you know, people know the Dow, 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 Dow. And one of my, another ABC station, they liked for me to talk about the Nikkei. You know, so it's, it's very interesting. Okay. Compound interest. Um, compound interest, know it, love it, and learn it while you're young. Because that penny and the next penny, penny, and the next penny, 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 penny will make you the million that you want from your babysitting money and your tooth fairy money, all that stuff. I wish I knew when I was a kid. It's one of the most powerful forces in the universe. It's like if you own compound interest, you become a Jedi. There you go. <laughs> Catching a falling knife. Oh, that's what we used to say a lot um, about the uh, New York Stock Exchange, that you can't catch. So they have specialists on the floor. And they would always, we'd always say, well, you can't catch a falling knife. 
with the trade coming, which is why we talk now about these circuit breakers that we have in place. Um, but that was one of the benefits. In the old NASDAQ versus New York Stock Exchange days, the uh, New York would always say, well, we have the specialists to catch that falling knife. And then our response would be like, you can't catch a falling knife. But anyway. Yeah, the circuit breakers are good, especially with how much trading is computerized. It's amazing how many times they've hit recently. Hmm. Uh, chasing a stock at all-time highs. Hmm. I would look at averages as opposed to all-time highs. I don't know. That's a, that's a scary situation where, again, know your risk tolerance level. Carrying credit card debt. Bad. <laughs> Bad. And the example I give is, um, okay, that Gucci bag you thought was on super sale is not on super sale when you pay the interest on that. So bad. Buying real estate. Um, that's not a bad uh, idea um, because it's, it, it gives you something in return tangible. Um, the market right now, there's such low inventory. I don't know what you're going to buy, but you could buy something in New York City, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Yes. You want to uh, talk about New York City real quick? Just what yeah, your impressions are? Um, it's not the same place at all. It's, I mean, I'm sure it's, you're seeing the same in larger cities like Philadelphia, but it's sad. It's a ghost town. It's, um, when you have restaurants in the street, but then nobody in the restaurants in the street at all. Um, it's not, when you think of the Big Apple, you think of booming and people moving and you can't get by and it's sweaty and it's hot and it's loud and it's obnoxious and it's fun. And it is the exact opposite of that right now, which is really sad. I read an article that said the city that survived 9-11 might not survive the pandemic. What do you think? I, it, there are so many. Um, let's talk about the people in the city who've moved out and the families. Um, back in March and April, I was talking to a real estate broker. All those families went and got year leases uh, in suburbs in, of New Jersey, of Connecticut, upwards of, of upstate New York. They've all left the city and all their things are in storage. So you have an influx of all the families out. You have, um, Think of all the restaurants that have closed. There are a lot of people moving in with their parents. I get a lot of this. I'm, I'm living with my parents in Pennsylvania, or you know, I moved back to Utah because um, you know there's nothing for me here. It's it's a sad state. I remember when um, after 9/11, I actually moved from Jersey City to New York City. So I did the exact opposite. Um, but if you look at airlines right now. People, more people were flying after 9-11 there are now. And these airlines can't survive. I know it's really tough that they're now, some of the, the planes are becoming more full. It's because there's less inventory. And there's less inventory because they're now retiring planes and it's just too expensive for them to run a plane at like 60% capacity. So um, if you don't have people coming in, you don't have people working and you have people moving out, um, it could be a long time. Oh, and you have crime. You have crime, um, bad crime. You know, you're talking about homicide rates. Um, not great. That whole compound effect makes it, you know, less attractive to live in the city. 
I'm hopeful for New York City and, and Philadelphia for that matter. But I think you're right. It's going to take it's going to take some time. And about airplanes, whenever I hear an airplane go overhead, I notice it. Don't you notice everything now? I feel like I, I'm, I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for that. Little things that we just definitely took for granted. I notice and I'm grateful for now. Uh, back to the speed round. Not letting you <laughs> off the hook so easily. What do you like the most, Maribel? 401ks, 529s, or 1080 EZs? Oh, I'll go with 401k because okay. I can get the most benefit, I think, of the 401k. And if you're not um, uh, meeting the match, then you're leaving money on the table. You're, you're throwing it in the trash. You're totally right. Totally right. And there's a max, right? Of the, uh, as I, I forget what the max is now that you can invest. Per year, it's, I think it's like 19500 now. Now, So presumably, you know, you, if you're saving up to the max, which I know not everybody can, but you're performing at the same level as somebody else who may even make a little bit more than you or a little bit less than you. Sure. Because there's so much that you can put in the 401k. Yeah, it kind of evens the scales there if you're able to do that. Education bubble. <sighs> Education is a, is a big uh, problem in, in the U.S. right now. Um, but I'm not going to say anything more than that. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fine. Social media. Social media. Um, social media, I think, is, a, is good because it offers, we're all at home now. So this offers some way into you and communication. But also, uh, it's funny because you think about when you and I or in school, there was not this social media thing. There was barely email. That um, I don't, I don't want us to forget what we're posting, and that it matters what we post. Because I have had that conversation with many young people who just post away, and even even people who are not young who just they 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 post things and they don't think about things. So that's I say cautionary. Yeah, I definitely think it's a give and take. There are a lot of positives. It's kept us communicating with people throughout this whole yes. thing. But as a colleague of mine, John Rollins, who retired recently from Action News, said, the worst thing about social media is that we're trying to communicate with bumper stickers. Yeah, good point. And, you know, when people look back years from now and see all the emoticons, they're going to think those are crazy hier hieroglyphics that those cats had. <laughs> They're like, were they cavemen and women back then? I mean, were they? <laughs> Final part of the speed round, last word, Barney. Everything. <laughs> I mean, if I say Bailey, what would you say? Uh, you know what, and so I don't know if people know, Barney is Maribel's dog, Bailey is mine. I had a dog growing up, name was Casey, and didn't have a dog, went to college, you know, had a family and decided I'm, we're going to go get a dog. And yeah, this goes with all pets. They complete you as human beings in a weird way, don't they? Yes. It's like they can read your thoughts. Yeah. That's some Zen stuff there. Jenna Master. <laughs> Maribel Aber, 
Thank you so much for joining us on the True Philadelphia Podcast. Thank you for having me, Matt. This has been great. I feel like we've just had a lovely chat and I hope that uh, people get to know me a little bit better because I love your morning team and you guys really are like family. Yeah, you're part of the family. And Maribel, I'm going to see you on Monday morning. Yes, you will. <laughs> it was great catching up with Maribel Aber. You can catch her every weekday on Action News Mornings. Her Market Watch reports run during the 6 a.m. newscast. I'm Matt O'Donnell. Thanks so much for lending your ear to the True Philadelphia Podcast. Stay true.